open and preach the Word of God. I'm, I'm especially excited about this message because he shared it with me, and I, I just think it's going to be a picture into his life and, and uh, um, just an amazing life that God has led all these years uh, to, this, to this date. And uh, we just I actually just got back last night uh, in the middle of the night from Maryland, had a, a delayed flight, so got back even later than I had planned. Uh, but it's good to be in church on Sunday morning, but I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to be here to preach this Saturday and, uh, and then on Sunday as well. So, But I'm going to invite Pastor Fred to come. Get your Bibles, your sermon notes out, get ready to receive from the Lord. Welcome Pastor Fred as he comes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good. good morning. I've been ministering to the children for the last Oh, several weeks. So uh, I almost want to lead you in a chorus. It goes like this. Think I'm going to throw up. I think I'm going to throw up. I think I'm going to throw up my hands and praise the Lord. <laughs> you may want to sing that the next time you're at the doctor's or, you know, <laughs> in a public place somewhere, you know, waiting for something. Just sing that really out loud and then watch the people respond. So... Turn to the book of Job. I thought, you know, if it's going to be about my life, I might as well go to the book of Job, right? Job chapter 42, we're going to look at that in just a moment. But I came across a little prayer that I just want to read to you this morning. That uh, I just, it's just so true. It's just absolutely amazing. Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper, been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish or self-indulgent. I have not whined, complained, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. I have charged nothing on my credit card. But I will be getting out of bed in a minute, and I think I will really need your help then. Apparently the secret to the Christian life is staying in bed. I mean, how many people would want to get saved if we told them that was the way it's going to work? You just lay in bed till Jesus comes and gets you. Not exactly the way it goes. Uh, but I want to talk to you this morning about a sermon I've entitled, Job Part 2, The Abundant Life. And I'm going to give you some snapshots uh, into my life, and in particular, my parents, uh, who uh, have both gone on to be with the Lord, my dad in 2007, my mom in 2009. And uh, I had the privilege of officiating at their funerals. And uh, there's no greater honor than to uh, say farewell to your parents in that way. And I thank God for the heritage they've left to me and uh, my brothers. And, uh, but I want to talk to you about the abundant life and what that means so I want you to, in your sermon notes, if you want to write something down, write down the word L-I-F-E. I have four things that I want to talk about, and they deal with the, with the letters L-I-F and E. The L is leadership. The I is integrity. The F is, is faithfulness. And the E is eternal value. As I thought about this whole idea of abundant life, I, uh, I was taken to the last chapter of Job, and... Uh, let me just read to you, beginning in verse number 10 of Job chapter 42. It says, After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again, gave him twice as much as he had before. 
All his brothers and sisters, everyone who had known him before, came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, the third Karen Hapak. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation, and so he died old and full of years. There's something about the abundant life that, that I have experienced over, in fact, I'm going to be 61 on the 25th of this month. I know I look about 60, but I'm going to be 61. Um, the beard has really messed up my age thing. But, um, but the, uh, the Lord has, he just reminded me again this morning that the abundant life is, has nothing to do with material. It has nothing to do with the materialistic. The abundant life is not circumstantial. Is this mic going goofy again? No problem. The abundant life is not circumstantial. The abundant life is environmental. It has to do with the environment that we create wherever we go. Because we are part of God's family. We are God's kids. And so whenever, wherever I go, I bring with me the abundant life. It's part of who I am. It's just what I do. It's, it's where, everywhere I go. When you go into your workplace, you are bringing into that workplace the abundant life. It is light. It is hope. It's power. It's strength. It's encouragement. And the enemy would like to lie to you and tell you, you don't have the abundant life. Man, you're poor. You don't have an abundant life. You're unemployed. You don't have the abundant life. You just found out you have cancer. You don't have the abundant life. You're just struggling every day. That's a lie. That is an absolute lie. The moment you are saved, you have entered into the abundant life. And the abundant life has to do with leadership. It has to do with integrity. It is powered by faithfulness. And it's built on and based on the eternal value. The eternal value, if you want to write this down, is salvation. That's the eternal value. You see, in the life of Job, as I was thinking about this, Job had the abundant life when the book started, in the middle of his struggles, and then again at the end. The abundant life was not based on his circumstances. It was based on the environment that he functioned in, which was supernatural. He served God. He loved God. Who else could make a statement, though God slay me, yet will I serve him? It doesn't matter what's going on here. It's not about the good life here. It's about the great eternity that's waiting for us. Amen? I don't even know what the good life means. You know, what is that? Because I realize that God has blessed me beyond words when I think about all that has happened in my life. Let's look at the word leadership, though. Let's take a look at that initially. Leadership, let me ask you a question. Who are you following? Who are you following? Who's leading you? 
I've had the privilege and the blessing for now quite a few years. I've been here almost 17 years on staff, and I had the blessing of following Pastor Merrill Sr. for quite a few of those years, and now I'm on, honored to follow Pastor Darrell. So uh, it's kind of funny. I always like to introduce them. This is my brother Darrell. It's my other brother Darrell. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm in trouble again. But that's fine. I live there. It's the abundant life. But in that, in that process, I began to understand that they could literally quote with the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. How many of you are, are rejoiced today that we are in a church where we can follow our pastors as they follow Christ? Amen? Express your appreciation to our pastors. Absolutely. <laughs> Following as I follow Christ. It's always been my favorite verse. It's a, it's a tremendous challenge to be able to tell someone, follow me as I follow Christ. That's huge. And then the question is, who is following you? Who's behind you? Who is coming up? Who are you mentoring? You may not even, be, you may not even realize you're mentoring them. I have five grandkids, and I realize that they look to me, they follow my example, and it's a little scary sometimes. This morning, as we were getting ready, Ashton, we are watching Ashton and Ariana, and I'm convinced there's a re two reasons why old people don't have children. We don't have the energy, and guaranteed we're going to leave them somewhere and forget where we put them. <laughs> I'm convinced of both of those. But again, this morning, it was Ashton's getting ready. How, how do you have fashion sense at three years of age? I can't wear those. They don't match. Yes, you can. Put them on. And then, he, then he, he has a, he's got this little black velvet coat. It's his preacher coat. So he goes, Opa, I'm wearing my preacher coat. Are you wearing your preacher coat? And I said, yeah, Ashton. As a matter of fact, I'm wearing my black blazer. We're good. We're perfect. You're in fashion. You're in. So he's got his preacher coat on. And he asked me this morning, could I help you preach? I said, maybe not today. Maybe some other time. Like when you're 40. Um, leadership. Leadership. My father came to the United States with my mom in 1952 in January. They came as immigrants from Germany. My dad had lost his farm and all his possessions after the war. Found himself in western Germany trying to survive and uh, ended up in the construction uh, work. And uh, so he married my mom, uh, who had lost her first husband, about five weeks before World War II ended, my dad had served in the German army. He was uh, injured and as a result was able to survive. He was on the Russian front, would have died there along with thousands of other men. Uh, but uh, again, the grace of God brought him out of that situation. As a result, he met my mom. They were married in 1952. They decided to step out and he led the way to bring them to the United States. Army transport plane brought them to New York City. From there, they got on, a got on a train and traveled to a little town, a little farm in Nebraska, where life began for them and, uh, and myself. I was born in March of 1952, so a couple of months, my mom was pregnant. I tell people I started in Germany, and I was born here in the United States. So anyway, <laughs> you can do the biology. But anyway, um, so, the, uh, so that's where life started for them. And my mom and dad from that moment on, began to show me what it meant to live the abundant life. My dad was 40 years old when he started over again with absolutely 
nothing. Nothing. The one crate that my mom brought back, brought from Germany with her dishes and some of special things, she watched them throw it off the airplane, crash onto the ground, and break into a million pieces. So that was, that was gone. And so those first years were very difficult. And uh, they taught me some very powerful values. And uh, as I was preparing for this message, I came across a letter that I had written to them in, on March 21st, 2000. I was going to be 48. That was the year of my 48th birthday, and I decided to write them a letter. And uh, this will give you a great picture of who my mom and dad were and the leadership that they provided into my life. Dear Mom and Dad, in a few days I will be 48 years old. I just thought it would be nice to send you a thank you letter for all the amazing and wonderful things that you did for me in those past 48 years, in these past 48 years. Dad, thank you for teaching me the importance of hard work, showing me how to use so many tools and letting me help you, letting me see you kiss Mom every morning and every night when you came home for faithfully providing for our family so that we never were hungry and always dressed nice, taking us to church and showing the importance of prayer, recovering from your accident and continuing to work hard. In 1959, my father fell off a scaffolding in a construction accident and uh, hit headfirst on the concrete floor. Um, his skull was shattered like a piece of glass, and that's probably what saved his life. His brain was swollen, they packed him in ice. Uh, this is 1959. It was when before you know medicine was as advanced as it is today. The doctors told my mother that he would never recover from this accident. She should plan the funeral. Well, he did recover. The church got together and began to pray for him. And as a result, that happened in November of 59. In July of 1960, he was back at work. No headaches no after effects. He continued on to live till, it, till he died at the age of 95. And uh, yeah, my dad was a miracle. And uh, so uh, I appreciated the fact that he recovered from that. That was a good thing. Taking us to Germany and so many other great places, family vacations were always great. Taking me and later Eric and Erica fishing, 48 years of being a good example of faithfulness and loyalty to mom and the family. When he died, my parents had been married 57 years. So, uh, yeah, leadership. Mom, thank you for giving me life, protecting me in Nebraska when I was too little to even know I was in danger, staying with Dad in those terrible early days when life was so very hard, going to work and providing for the family when Dad had his accident. When my dad had his accident, um, my mom, in order to make provision, she started working from 11 to 7, night shift at the local hospital. She became a, a nurse's aide. She made 25 cents an hour in 1959. And so she worked nights and took care of the kids and my dad during the day. I have no idea how she did that. My mom's a miracle, too. Incredible. Believing in my abilities and not settling for anything less than my best in school for being such a wonderful, godly mother and not allowing me to go without a spanking when I needed it. I really can't believe I wrote that, but anyway. <laughs> Thank you for cooking and cleaning, keeping our house so beautiful that we never had to be ashamed to bring friends over. Teaching me how to cook, clean, sew, iron, and many other talents that I have used. 
trusting me as I grew up and giving me responsibility to show that I could be trusted, for pushing me in high school and college and seminary to do my best and prepare for the future, for questioning my choice regarding a wife and helping me wait for the very best person I could have ever chosen. Honey, thank God for mom. Saved me from a nightmare. Being faithful to dad all these years and showing me that even in pain a person can still be loyal and Christian. Never giving up on life or family even though you have experienced more pain and suffering in your life than many others would have ever thought of. Loving me as a son and accepting Linda as a daughter and Eric and Erica as, grand as grandchildren. Showing me how to have love and compassion for all people as I watched you care for Mrs. Towns. That was a lady that she took care of and others and in preparing me to enjoy 48 of the most wonderful years of life and for being responsible for helping me to be a good husband and father. I love you both very much. God bless and keep you. Until now, I see you in heaven, mom and dad. They were amazing examples of faith, of leadership. And then integrity. I thank God for my mom and dad. I noticed the word on the door is home. And home was an awesome place for me. I loved home. Home was where I could always go and it was always safe. I knew my mom would always tell me the truth. Whether, whether how I dressed or who I dated, or my mom would always tell me the truth. And if I didn't understand the truth, she would explain it with a wooden spoon, so I did understand it. <laughs> that spoon was amazing. It clarified things so dramatically, the truth, you know. A person of integrity. My father was a man of integrity. I knew that he would always tell the truth. I knew that he did the truth. I knew that when the other men from his construction team would go out to drink after work, that my dad would always come home. He never went out with those guys. He always came home. I knew that at 5 o'clock, 5.30, whatever it was, that my dad would be home and that we would have dinner together around the table as, and we would then talk, our, my brothers and I, we would share together around the table. And mom and dad would always tell us the truth. One of the things my dad used to tell me, and a couple of great sayings. One was, uh, it's good enough for who it's for. That was always a great statement. But uh, anyway, um, so I have to, if you ever hear me say that, you know that we're in trouble. And the other thing was that I would sometimes, I'd get whiny or cry, and you know, I'd say, Dad, you know, kids are making fun of me at school. And he would say, is what they're saying the truth? I said, no, they're just, you know, it's baloney. He said, then don't worry about it. If it's true, fix it. If it's not, shake it off. And that was the extent of his counseling. I mean, he was an amazing counselor. That was about it, you know. <laughs> just deal with it. And so I realized that if I wanted compassion, I'd have to find mom. <laughs> and then it better be an awesome thing. Otherwise, I'd probably get a spanking for <laughs> crying or whining. Yeah, she was, not, she was not big on whining. That didn't work well with her. But integrity. They told the truth. They lived the truth. And I could, I could just, I knew that there was a foundation in my home that I could stand on for years to come. And so I praise and thank God for the foundation of integrity. Faithfulness. I learned some lessons in faithfulness, not just watching my parents, but also in my own personal life. I, uh, I entered the ministry back in 1973. I was licensed and uh, began working as a youth pastor at uh, a church in uh, Chicago, Evangel Assembly of God. And I uh, 
went on to my seminary degree. Linda and I were, um, we, uh, actually 1973 was a busy year, especially the week of Christmas. I, I graduated on the 22nd of December. Uh, Christmas was the 25th, and Linda and I were married on the 29th. I don't recommend that kind of a week uh, in general, but uh, it was very exciting to uh, go through all of that, to go through all those kinds of things. So anyway, we, 1973 on to 1977 when I finished my seminary uh, work, and then we, uh, the Lord again in his faithfulness was amazing, because when I finished seminary, I had sent out resumes uh, to places I thought I'd like to work, you know, and minister, Florida, Hawaii, Tahiti, no, I'm kidding. I did send one to Hawaii, though. Um, and I didn't get any responses, and nothing was happening, and nothing was going anywhere. And so I thought, you know what, this just doesn't, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. So I, I scheduled an appointment to, uh, to meet with uh, one of the insurance agents where Linda worked. And I was going to become an insurance agent. An insurance agent with a master's degree in uh, a master of divinity with a major in Christian education. The perfect scenario for an insurance agent, right? And so the Lord uh, said, well, that sounds like a good plan, but it's not my plan. The Wednesday, I was going to meet with this guy on Thursday. Wednesday night, a pastor from Indiana called me up, and again, God's faithfulness. He calls me up, and he asks me to come down and interview for a position in southern Indiana. The other side of the, I mean, that was my wilderness experience. <laughs> southern Indiana. And for seven years, God trained me and retrained me and worked with me, and God, through his faithfulness, uh, allowed us the, the beautiful opportunity to have Eric, our son, and Eric, our daughter, down there in Indiana. And for those seven years, it was awesome. And it got to the place where I thought, you know, God, this is great, man. I could just retire here. This is wonderful. He said, no, I've got some, something for you to do in Chicago. And so he, he turned my heart back to the city here in Chicago. And so we came back in 19... Uh, I'm going to do the math here, 1984, we came back to Chicago, and there are miracles where God's faithfulness, he, he helped us sell our home in 1984 when interest rates were at 17%. We sold our house in three days. We put it on the market on a Thursday and signed a contract on Saturday. That was one of my prayer requests. I said, God, if this is really you, if you really want me to go to Chicago, then here, I need you to sell my house. I almost said, God, not that fast. I mean, slow down. <laughs> Give me some time here. But he, we came to Chicago, we found a house, bought a house in two days. Just completely ridiculous. The faithfulness of God. And so I came to that church in Chicago and spent nine years at Evangel in Chicago. And then on September 30th, 1992, I got probably one of the most amazing pieces of paper I've ever read in my life. It was called a Notice of Release. It was a pastoral pink slip. How many of you have ever been fired or had a pink slip or laid off? Last night there were like two people. Okay, there's more here. I don't recommend that experience at all. It's not a great time. It's not a good thing. It's not, it's not great to, to realize that somebody doesn't need you anymore. But again, it was the hand of God. It was the faithful hand of God. And it was at that time, I had 1985, I started teaching here at Christian Life College. And uh, my, again, my thanks to Pastor Merrill. Pastor Merrill saved my life several times, so he's, you're a good man. I, I owe you a present or something. So. But I came to him after I had received that notice on a Wednesday night, and I came and said, Pastor Merrill, I'm, gonna be, I'm, I'm being fired from my church position. Um, what do you think? Well, 
good luck. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, at that time he said, well, you know, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Right now we can't afford to add any more staff members, but, you know, just start attending church here and we'll see what God does. God in his faithfulness opened up an opportunity for me because when you're an un- unemployed pastor, about the only thing you can really do is, like, pastor. And so, uh, so I, went to the, I went to the Chicago Tribune, and I began looking through the want ads. And I came across something that said, uh, life and health insurance examiners uh, looking for a phlebotomist. Interesting thing, when I was in college at the University of Michigan, I worked in a pathology lab, a job that I had gotten in high school, and I was trained as a phlebotomist. So if you need your blood taken, I can do that. I haven't done it for a while, but I'd be happy to practice. Um, and so the Lord opened up that door of opportunity, and I went to Worldwide Health Services, and I went into the interview and talked to the doctor and explained my situation and so on and so forth. And uh, he asked me this question. He said, well, how long has it been since you uh, actually took somebody's blood? And I said, well, it's been about 20 years. And his response was amazing. He said, well, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. You never forget. Cool. And he hired me. And so for four years, I spent, I traveled all over the suburbs, meeting people, doing insurance examinations. If you've ever had life insurance, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, blood samples, and then I'd have to process the blood at home, and I'd, you know, send it out. And so my little office at home became this weird laboratory. And... um, But again, God was faithfully ministering to me in a time when I didn't know what I was going to do. And Linda became amazingly faithful because she was working part-time and she stepped her her time up to full-time because my salary was cut in half when I left the church. I just, I I had no place to go. But in God's faithfulness, we moved out of Chicago at that time, just in time, to keep my son from being sucked in and swallowed up by the gangs in that neighborhood. He later confessed to me that he had already been in trouble with the police. He had already dealt with and been involved in some issues and situations with gangs. And had God not shut that door and caused us to move to the next location, I'd probably be visiting my son in prison today instead of knowing that he's at the Awana convention running, uh, running the lights and the sounds and working for my son-in-law Alex and uh, automated lighting design. And he has this amazing wife, Amy, both of them serving God, attending Harvest Bible Chapel, giving me two amazing grandchildren, Ashton, who's a tornado looking for a small town to destroy. <laughs> And Ariana, who is the fashion queen, so she's amazing. And so God blessed us. His faithfulness came through. And my mom prayed for us, and dad prayed for us the whole time all this was going on. And they had since moved to Colorado, and they were, they were, their commitment to one another was amazing. And, and uh, my dad built seven or eight homes in the course of his life. Six of those houses were built after he retired uh, at the age of 65. When him and my mom moved to Colorado, he decided, they decided they were going to build houses. And so they did. They built the homes they lived in. And as a result, my mom's shoulders and hips just literally gave out because she helped carry bricks 
and uh, mix cement and help with framing and doing the painting and all of that. So ladies, never, never marry a German bricklayer. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. But faithfulness. So four years I worked for Worldwide Health Services, did over 5,000 patients or clients for them. And, uh, and then the, the door opened up for me to come on more of a part-time staff and then ultimately full-time staff here at the church. I believe 1996 I came as full-time. And I had to leave that, that work there. And it was amazing when I, as I kind of did my exit interview with the, the doctor that owned the company, he said, Fred, I need to let you know something. When you first came, there was no reason in the world that I should have hired you. Your skills were not up to date. You had no background or experience. There was no reason I should have hired you, but something said, go ahead and hire this guy. And then he told me, he said, I just want you to know that if you ever decide to leave the pastorate, call me, because you have become one of our top examiners because of your faithfulness, because of your integrity, because I could count on you to take care of what it was I gave you to do. And so I have valued that. And I told him, my response to him was, sir, my philosophy in life has never changed. I, I am not worthy to succeed until I commit myself to someone else's success. That's what life is all about. That's the abundant life. It's committing yourself to someone else and their victory. And so I strive to do that here. Sometimes I'm good at it, sometimes it doesn't work out as well, but I'm committed to Pastor Darrell's success. That's why I'm here. And so he makes me take care of the kids. <laughs> it's part of my punishment, but it's okay. No I'm, oh, no, I'm absolutely loving. Wednesday nights with my boys is absolutely great. It is, it is phenomenal. I'm turning them into warriors for Jesus. We're, they're crazy. So I'm loving it. And so 1996, I move into Christian Life Church as a full-time uh, associate pastor and have been here ever since, 17 years, longest I've ever been at any church. And I, uh, I thank God because he demonstrated his faithfulness in all of this, his faithfulness. And then the last thing I want to uh, share with you is eternal value, salvation. I was doing my, the Bible study with the men on a, sat, on a Friday morning, and the Lord gave me this amazing understanding of salvation through Paul's description of the armor of God. And I just want to give you a little snapshot picture of that real quick. As I looked at that, and I began to wonder why he has those things in the order that he shares them. And why it is that salvation, the helmet of salvation, seems to be much later in the process. It's like the Lord just turned a light on, and here's what he gave me. We begin with the belt of truth. Life is about understanding the truth. Your unsaved friends don't need to be saved as much yet as they need to understand truth. The internet is not a source of truth. No matter what that young girl says to that guy working on his app and her French model. 
They can put things on the internet that are not true. The television, Hollywood is not your source of truth. The newspaper is not your source of truth. Good Housekeeping magazine is not a source of truth. There may be some things in there that are true, but it is not the source of truth. It's this. This is absolute, positive truth. This is it. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all truth. And so you have to begin by starting with your friends and telling them the truth. Just tell them the truth. Pastor Darrell this morning shared the truth. God loves you. God thinks you're amazing. He loves you. Do you do wonderful things? Probably not. But again, the abundant life has nothing to do with circumstance. It has nothing to do with who you are. It has everything to do with who God is. And God's truth says that you are valuable as you are. You are valuable. Once I understand the truth, once I understand who Jesus is as the source of all truth, the next thing that comes is, this, is the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness. What is the most righteous thing you can do when confronted with the truth? Believe it. Believe it. And what is the most intelligent thing you can do when you believe the truth? Repent for not believing it. It's the pathway to salvation. Once you're confronted with the truth, now you believe it. Now you repent of being an unbeliever. You, the breastplate of righteousness. You understand doing the right, the right thing, the, being, doing a righteous act. The very next thing he talks about, he says, then your feet shall be the preparation of the gospel of peace. Once I've repented, I experience this amazing sense of peace. Why? Because God has received my repentance, and I am now at peace with him. Is this making sense? You following me on this? This peace, this issue of peace comes into our lives. And once I understand that, the next thing, excuse me, pardon me there, Mr. Speaker. <laughs> the next thing that comes in is the shield of faith. You see, until I'm at peace with God, my faith isn't active. This was just mind-boggling to me. I'm thinking, yeah, this makes sense. I'm confronted with truth. The truth leads me to repentance. Repentance leads me to a place of peace with God. Once I'm at peace with God, I can now begin to hold up the shield of faith. God, he's given me a measure of faith. I'm able to act on that faith. When I act on that faith, I'm able to now hold that in front of the enemy because he will throw at you the four most powerful missiles that he owns, and that's fear, doubt, unbelief, and worry. The enemy will attack you with those four things on a regular basis. How many of you have ever felt some of those missiles come your way? When that happens, get the shield of faith up and just hold them in and say, sorry, you'll need to find a new target. Not today. Not today. Not today. 
And it's at that point where our faith begins to be exercised in the truth of who God is, in the truth of his word, in the power of Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross. That's the truth. What Jesus did on the cross is the truth. He died for your sins. That's the truth. When you exercise your faith regarding that truth, the helmet of salvation can now be placed on your head because now you're thinking correctly. Now you're finally thinking right. You are now ready to be armed with the sword of the Spirit. Now you can fight. Because you are armed with the whole armor of God. You begin to understand. How many of you realize that when you got saved, you could understand the word of God better? Right? To give a Bible to someone that is not saved is confusing. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? They're going to look at it and go, I don't get this. I don't understand this. They need to understand that it is the truth. But they need you to share your story of how you were impacted by the truth. Of how you accepted. Of how you repented. Of how you became a believer. Of how you then found peace with God. Of how then you exercised your faith. How you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. How the helmet of salvation or how salvation came in and changed your mind. And how you were then able to hold up the word of God as a sword of the spirit and begin to fight against the lies of the enemy. That's our enemy. It's the lies of Satan. You're not going to ever probably see Satan physically ever in your life. And why would you want to? Who cares? But his lies are prevalent everywhere. That's why you need the sword of the Spirit to be able to fight against the enemy. I've actually ended up preaching a different message here. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. But you see, the abundant life is born out of the eternal value of salvation. It's how it works. It's how we come to it. So instead of... Don't threaten people with hell. It's not your position. It's not your job. Offer them the truth. Tell them the truth. Today I've been telling you the truth about my mom and dad, about my, my life with them, how they demonstrated to me what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a person of integrity, what it means to be faithful, what it means to understand the eternal value and then enjoy the eternal reward that comes as a result of that. Let me share with you one final thing. And this came out of Monday, February 25th, out of the devotional. This is just amazing. This is my final challenge to you and to me. It was written by William Arthur Ward. He said this, I will do more than belong. I will participate. I will do more than care, I will help. I will do more than believe, I will practice. I will do more than be fair, I will be kind. I will do more than forgive, I will forget. I will do more than dream, I will work. I will do more than teach, I will inspire. I will do more than learn, I will enrich. I will do more than give, I will serve. I will do more than live, I will grow.
I will do more than suffer. I will triumph. My mom could have written that. That was her life. She used to drive me absolutely crazy because I'd come home at night and when I was in elementary school and even in high school, even in college. I'd come home and I'd say, well, Mom, I'm all done with my homework. Really? Can't you do more for extra credit? Mom, I don't need extra credit. There's nothing beyond an A. I'm good. No, you should study more anyway. Why? It was always do more, give more, go more, believe more, share more, triumph more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here in this great church. Thank you, God, for parents absolutely amazing parents. Lord, I was, I've been blessed with the abundant life, and it continues to go on. Father, help me and help us to remember that the abundant life is about leadership. Help us to lead those around us. Help us to lead by our integrity, people of the truth. Father, help us to understand the power of faithfulness. And Lord, thank you that you have given to us the gift of the eternal value, salvation, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Father, if, there's, if there are people here today that haven't tasted yet of this abundant life, I pray that you would speak into their heart, make them so hungry and so thirsty for the truth that they just can't do anything but turn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Pastor Ed. Yeah. What, a, what a good word.